ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. Wanted to make noise, not study theory. That is why we're covering Metallica on season two of the Ultimate Catalog Clash, the, the perfect uh, kind of cleanser after the uh, the, the highbrow uh, thinking man's music of, of Genesis, which we covered in season one. My name is Corey Morissette. Joining me, as always, is the one and only uh, legendary uh, Kevin Brown. Kevin, it's it's we've been on hiatus now for a while between seasons. Uh, I, I'm, I got to tell you, I love the ZZ Top beard, but I am sad to see you gained 50 pounds. So <laughs> the, the time off doesn't look like it was kind to you, my friend. What do you mean not kind? I've been eating magnificently, drinking magnificently, and growing this bad boy out. So, I mean, what, what more do you it want? It looks phenomenal. Going? I got to tell you, wow, it's too bad this isn't on YouTube because it is glorious. You know, being a short fellow, though, being only four foot nine, it's like I trip on it sometimes. I can step on it and it gets dirty, and I need to carry a comb around all the time to comb out the bit of breadcrumbs and everything. So, but. That's the price you pay for being a legend, I guess. That's right. So it, it's been a while since we've been on a call uh, uh, doing a show, and now we're getting ready to kick off Season 2 of the Ultimate Cataclysm Clash. Of course, Season 1, Phil Collins era Genesis. Man, that was a heck of a lot of fun. How did you think Season 1 went? Really well. Um, again, like the thrill for me is always, it's the same thing that when I do my Queen podcast with Randy, when I'm watching someone react to a song they've never heard before, that a band that I like in real time, or sort of, you know, have gone away, and in, in our case, we sort of researched them. But that's a thrill, right? It's always a thrill when you expose someone to new music, especially when they find songs that they like that they maybe didn't know before. So it was great. It was, I think it was a roaring success. And I'm looking forward to uh, getting Scott Haskin on for the album wrap for this season again, because I thought the season wrap was just a ton of fun. Well, and uh, neither you nor Scott listen to a lot of Metallica, I, I get the impression. So I was kind of hoping for the same thing you were hoping in season one, that maybe Kevin's going to appreciate this band, because I know you you like making fun of James Hetfield and how he sings and everything, but I really wanted you to pay attention to him as a, a vocalist, and he, he has some good moments uh, in the side we're covering here tonight uh, as a lyricist, which I think he is horribly underrated as a lyricist, and just the musicianship between the four of them. And that includes Lars Ulrich, who's a guy you like to make fun of a lot. You know, take drum tone out of it, just listen to the playing. I'm hoping maybe uh, you'll, you maybe will uh, appreciate uh, Lars a, a little bit more not not as a human I know you've been watching the documentaries <laughs> as a person you, there, there's no justifying Lars Ulrich he, he's really kind of a pompous shit but as a musician maybe not as bad as you thought it was I mean that was the thing that we, we talked about this a little bit on the season one rap where <clears throat> really coming into this I'm not a Metallica fan and I'd actually have, I've obviously said in the past that I don't like Metallica but that's the fun of doing this is that I've got to put aside my my dislike of James Hetfield dah, doing that thing on his vocal all the time because that's just a it's an affectation. It's what he does. So I've got to sort of ignore that, and I've got to ignore, like you said, Lars' tone isn't always great. Um, so looking at the music and sort of picking apart and trying to find the things that I do like was really interesting. And there's plenty that I did find that I liked on this first side of this album. Well, I tell you, and what we what we did, if you missed season one, I, I won season one. We had to decide. We 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 picked what we think the final grade on their biggest album was going to be. Their biggest album, Phil Collins' Aerogenesis, was Invisible Touch. And uh, I believe 
uh, I said like a 88% and it was 88.5. Like I was off by 0.5%. You were close. And you were, and you were only off by like one. Like it was, <laughs> it was literally that close. Uh, so I picked Metallica. So we're doing the same thing this season in that we have to guess the final grade on this album because we're covering just 90s era Metallica, which encompasses three records, uh, Load, Reload, and the album we're starting here tonight, uh, self-titled, uh, commonly known as the Black Album, the biggest selling album in SoundScan history, one of the highest grossing albums of all time. Yeah, I, I see you giving me that look in SoundScan history. So that started in like the early 90s. So it's, what, sounds, uh, what is that, Corey? I don't know what SoundScan is. SoundScan is, is the way that they were actually uh, tracking how many records were, were sold. Okay. So it's actually like barcodes, like actually as you scan the barcode. So what oh, happened okay, was I gotcha. you almost got like real time. Like I think the first ever album to hit number one in its debut week, uh, Rock and Roll Rise, was Skid Row, Slave to the Grind, because it was one of the first ones in the SoundScan era that, you know, they could actually get, you know, weekly totals for. So it debuted at number one. And since that That's time, I, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure when SoundScan started. I think around 1990, uh, Metallica, the Black Album is still uh, the uh, biggest selling uh, record um gosh how many times platinum is this record i'm gonna try and look it 16. Up 16. It was, i looked at that it's 16 times platinum when you look at sort of i was looking at, you know i always compare to the bands i love so i mean it's not quite as big as queen's greatest hits but it's bigger than any single queen album it's bigger than any single zeppelin album I, it's probably not bigger than any single beatles album but i think that the problem that we're there is the tracking stuff doesn't really kick in until later, yeah. but it's bigger than Petty's greatest hits. It's bigger than Springsteen's greatest hits, which kind of surprised me because Springsteen's an American darling, but yeah, I mean a huge album. Um, so I had a question for you, the Corey, because obviously we're doing this nineties era. And of course it, it, it doesn't, it's not an era that all Metallica fans love. I think that's right. an uncontroversial statement, right? Yep. Cliff Burton obviously is the first bass player and, and you've called him the best heavy metal bassist of all time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I've heard other people say, you know, he's in that in that bracket. And then Jason Newstead comes in. So Newstead, this is Newstead's second album, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, he came in on uh, And Justice for All. And so that's where you couldn't hear his bass. That's right. And so Bob Rock, the producer, comes in for this one. So what was Bob Rock's background, Corey? Where does, where does this guy come from? Because he brings a completely different sound to a band that really was a thrash metal band is, is what I've come to understand. Um, and listening to one of our uh, Deep Dive Podcast Network uh, mates and Justice for All, Quinn's podcast, I know a lot more about heavy metal than I did six months ago. Um, so, But Bob Rock seems like an unusual choice for a band like Metallica to bring into the studio to do their next album. He was. And uh, Bob Rock, uh, his background, he started uh, uh, in a band called the Payolas, Canadian band. If you ever hear the song Eyes of a Stranger uh, on Canadian yeah. radio? That's the Payolas. That's Bob Rock's band. He also, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he also, I think with a, I think his name is Paul Hyde, was the lead singer or played in the Payolas. They had a, an offshoot called Rock and Hyde, and they had a song called Dirty Water, which is like, okay. it's so bad, but it gets stuck in your head. Uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in, in a bar, and every Sunday we had to clean the bar, and we had a jukebox, and my brother would just pump in fucking quarter after quarter to play Dirty Water from Rock and Hyde, and I wanted to kill him. Yeah. So I, I, I never liked Bob Rock ever since then. But he, uh, he then he got into producing with Bruce Fairburn. He was the engineer for Bruce on some of those big uh, late 80s albums. And uh, Bob Rock actually produced Dr. Feelgood, which is what put him on the radar for uh, Metallica. They heard Dr. Feelgood, loved the production of it, and brought him on board to do uh, the Black Album. That's interesting, hey, because, I mean, Motley Crue are very much a hair metal band. You know, they're, I mean, they're not quite in the Bon Jovi range, but they're in that sort of same general bracket. They're not, a, they're certainly not a heavy metal band. They might mm -hmm. push into hard rock. So it, I always find that interesting when you think, you know, Metallica, because I've listened to, 
I did listen to the first four albums as well. Just, I mean, just listen to them through. I didn't make notes and sit with them. But the sound is so different because they were kind of, that first record sounds quite punky to me. I mean, I'm not a punk aficionado, but it's got a very fast, heavy punk route. So to have that, I don't know, that wherewithal maybe to say, we need to change completely and try something completely different. I always credit musicians with that because they're taking a chance, right? Because they could lose a lot of their hardcore fan base. But turns out when you go 16 times platinum, you're going to pick up a whole hell of a lot of new fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quote I found from Lars Ulrich on Bob Rock was, uh, quote, we felt that we still had our best record in us and Bob Rock could help us make it. Not, it just... not an easy process, though, was it? Not, 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 it was not all kumbaya <laughs> and hugs and kisses in the studio making this album. Eight months it took to make this album, I read. Yeah, Bob Which Rock. For, for, for a rock and roll album, that's a long time. Oh, yeah, and he's a bit of a perfectionist. Uh, he wasn't stopping until he got the, the sound he wanted. And uh, you watched the documentary a year and a half, a year and a half in the life of Metallica or whatever it is. Uh, and that really kind of chronicles that that whole. Uh, and, and they don't shy away from, from any of the ugliness, like James Hetfield with a sore throat sitting in the studio going, if, if you want to hear it, you fucking sing it. Like, I'm done. Like, <laughs> Well, let's clear the elephant out of the room on that then first, right? Because like you said, I mean, I've got issues. With, I think most people have issues with Lars Ulrich. Yeah. It's astonishing to me. I think it shows his level of ego that that that, that movie got put out because it does not show him in a good light at all. Of all the band members, he comes off as an absolute idiot. Yep. And the biggest thing that, that I found, like I said, the one scene that I think, I can't believe he left that in, was when Lars goes into the control room and he's complaining about one song or another, about the drums are not high enough in this, and Bob Rock just dresses him down. He doesn't say it outright, but he basically tells him, shut the fuck up, you don't know what you're talking about, I know what I'm doing, go away. And you can see Lars just crumple internally. And it's this kind of thing where he's all brash and bullshit and, and ego and, and sort of, you know, this kind of stuff. But Bob Rock's a producer, man. He knows how to get the right sound of a record. So I found that really interesting. And the other thing I would say about the documentary was I was surprised that there wasn't more of the... I would like to see more of the sort of the creative evolution of some of those songs, especially lyrically, because I, I guess that Lars and Bob Rock on this record told James Hetfield essentially to write better lyrics, yeah. which I, I kind of found quite interesting because there are some good lyrics on this album. Um, and I, But I thought that the aesthetic of the first albums, I thought his lyrics were fine on those. So yeah. was he not known as a lyricist before this album or? Not really. Uh, and, and, and even after, but when I was starting to really get into Metallica, that's what really struck me was just how good lyrically he was. Or even if you watch the Some Kind of Monster documentary where they're making one of the worst records of all time, but his process lyrically, what he, what he's kind of going through and the choices yeah. he made. Another documentary where Lars Ulrich does not come off uh, very well at all. He, he's just a pompous <laughs> asshole. But yeah. the one thing, I, I think maybe Lars likes it that Bob Rock kind of dressed him down and like stood up to him. So I don't think a lot of people stand up to Lars Ulrich because right. in some kind of monster, they're, they're like best friends. Like they work together tremendously well because, you know, they, there's that respect there, right? There, it wasn't okay. there when they were making uh, the Black Album. So on that, Corey, because this is, again, this is background that I don't have. And I did, I tried to find some of this out, but it, some of the sort of the, the creative process details I couldn't get a good handle on. Um, most of the songs on, well, all the songs on this album written by Hetfield and Ulrich. And then, you know, occasionally one of the other two will come in. Because um, then Sandman obviously is is um, Kirk Hammett's riff that they yeah. built it around. But watching that documentary, The One and a Half Years in the Life of Metallica, it didn't strike me that Lars Ulrich is a musician. Because when he some of the things he's talking to Bob Rock about, you think, no, that that that's insane. And there's some there's a song that we're going to talk about where I think if you don't know that as a musician after, on your fifth album, that blows my mind. So Hetfield writes the riffs obviously because I don't think Lars is a guitarist, is he? No, 
Right. So does he just sort of hum things? Try this. Will he just hum? Or like, I don't know how they write together because to me, if you're not writing the lyrics and you're not writing the melody, I'm not really sure why you're getting a huge songwriting credit, you know? Well, I think a lot of it comes from James. If you watch the, uh, the making of death magnetic, it shows them to uh, in a studio together. Okay. Uh, and, and that uh, it's not really a documentary. They release it in parts for every song. But you kind of see the evolution of the song from James going, Hey, I got a riff to the, the, the final product. But yeah, yeah. it's, it, it always starts with James and Lars, uh, how that process works. I'm not a hundred percent on, I think it's mostly James coming in with, with, with a riff. And, yeah. And then, uh, Lars kind of takes it from there. Uh, one of the most famous riffs, uh, on the record we're covering, uh, in the Metallica canon and of all time, uh, was a Lars Ulrich, uh, suggestion because uh, Kurt Hammett was working on the riff to what would become Enter Sandman. And he did the dun, 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 then right to dun, 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 dun. And it was yeah. Lars that said, no, take that first part and repeat it three times and then do that bit on the fourth part. Yeah. And, and, and that's when the whole thing kind of snapped and the song was kind of born from that. So I, I, he's not a classically trained musician. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, and like you said, in that documentary he comes off, like not really knowing a heck of a lot, but, <laughs> uh, intuitively, I, I think a, a very good musician and a very good uh, songwriter. I, he, I don't think he really touches lyrics. Uh, you see in the Some Kind of Monster documentary, uh, James opens it up to the band like Bob Rock, Lars, and Jay, and uh, Kurt Hammett. Go, you know, everybody can write lyrics. And you see James writing lyrics. You see the therapist writing lyrics. Bob Rock is writing something. And there's uh, Lars Ulrich doodling. Like he's like drawing <laughs> stick men and shit. So I don't think he has any interest at all uh, in lyrics, but... Uh, melody yeah. and song construction, I think Lars has a big uh, part in that. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, the positives from the documentary, like I said, I, I, my my opinion of Lars Ulrich actually went down during watching that documentary, but <laughs> I definitely got a sense that, like, I always had that, and a completely erroneous sense, because I didn't know anything about them, that James Hetfield was all, also a bit of sort of bluster and show, but you can tell watching that documentary that he's a very serious musician. He takes what he does very seriously. Now, I think, unfortunately, an, an overriding criticism of a lot of heavy metal for me is they tend to take themselves a bit too seriously sometimes, but you can see that he's, he's a very good technical guitarist. Like, he's not, yeah. you know, he's not like, he's not Geddy Lee level or, you know, Alex Lifeson level or any of those kinds of guys, but for this type of music, He's really solid. He knows how to play. He knows how to compose. And I would say the same thing about um, the one guy I really liked out of the band was Kirk Hammett. He just seems like an easygoing sort of, oh, what do you want me to play? Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Hey, anyone want coffee? Is that kind of, you know, that kind of positive, upbeat guy? He seems that way to me, you know. Yeah. Like, I like Sir, that guy. Watch him in some kind of monster. He's he's the surfer cowboy who's just like, it, <laughs> to, to go back to Spinal Tap, he's the lukewarm water between James's fire and Lars's ice, right? He's just <laughs> trying to keep things together. At one point, he even goes, guys, can we just, like, all get along? And they're, they're still fighting. <laughs> and he writes some killer shit. I think he's yeah. maybe underrated a bit, too, as a guitar player. But back to James Hetfield, there's a reason why, quite commonly, he is on uh, lists, like top 20 lists of the best rhythm guitar players of all time. Yeah. Because he plays tremendous rhythm guitar. Uh, he, he's a lot like a Malcolm Young to me. You know, he, he he's not going to take the lead. He's not going to give you the guitar yeah. pyrotechnics. But as a rhythm guy... He's fucking amazing. Well, as a rhythm guitarist in a band, well, certainly like, uh, you know, ACDC, and I would probably say even Metallica, your job as a rhythm guitarist is not to stand out. It's exactly the yeah. opposite. It's just hold things down and keep the keep the rhythm going. So, yeah, cool. I mean, as I said on the, the album wrap for the last season, I was really excited to get into this because it's a band that I I just don't know a hell of a lot about. Of course, I know I know two of the songs off this side of this album because how could you not? If you've got ears and any time in the past you've ever listened to radio, you're going to have heard Enter Sandman. You're definitely going to have heard Sad But True. Um, but getting into and sort of digging into it a little bit, trying to find those little nuggets of, okay, that's a cool little turn. Or, I really like this push here. 
it's been a lot of fun. So maybe we should uh, maybe we should jump in. Let's get right into it and head all the way back to 1991. I remember getting this. Uh, I got this CD in the states because it came in the long box. I'm, we never really had long boxes in Canada for CDs, but I remember my my folks went to Plentywood, Montana, at probably at the Come and Go, for that matter, <laughs> and, and picked up uh, Metallica in the long box because Enter Salmon was the biggest song in the world at that time, and uh, I, I just fell in love with this band uh, from this record. This is Enter Sandman. <laughs> The, the build to this song is so fucking great. It's long. It's really long. I don't care. Don't no, no, care. No, no. I, I, hey, that wasn't a criticism, Corey. In, in this case, that wasn't a criticism. And I think... But as an album opener, like for it to be that long and to build yeah, yeah, like yeah. that, oh, it's building, because you know it's building to something. And then we're going to get into that riff, which my first note is maybe one of the best of all time. Like, it's top five for me. Fuck, I love that riff. Interesting. Yeah, I mean... I do that. that dun, 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 dun. It always reminds me. You know, we care a lot by Faith No More. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that same. It's it sounds very similar to that. And I love that riff, and it's just super effective. Again, like what surprised me a little bit is how simple this song is. Because heavy metal, I know that Metallica, you know, they get Ride the Lightning and and going back, they were they were a little bit more sort of not proggy. That's not the right word, but they did write more intricate arrangements. Where this is really just. It's all power fifths, this song. There's only like six chords in this or five chords in this song. It's a far cry from like Master of Puppets or one where he had like those different movements almost uh, yeah. in, in a metal song. That's what really kind of made Metallica stand out is in a way it was almost Genesis-y uh, in, in heavy metal because yeah. like like one has like different movements to it. It's really impressive how that song is constructed. Even something like Seek and Destroy from the first record uh, had elements yeah. of that too. Like you said, th this is just straight out fucking balls to the wall rock and roll like you said maybe six chords in the whole thing and uh not mad at it and what i found what i found interesting too is that this was it was the first song to be written musically and yep. the last song to have its lyrics finished but also the first song they produced because i guess that they used this song as sort of the template for how the album was going to sound so it was really important to get this song dead right so i think they spent like 10 days mixing it or something which is you know it's quite a bit yeah All right, I've let my feelings be known. I think that's one of the greatest riffs in rock music. Uh, what are your thoughts on the riff? I don't think it's the best riff on this side of this album. There's some good riffs on this side of the album, but th this is so iconic. Like, it is. I mean, it, I think, though, do you, I wonder sometimes with that, you know, because it's the same with tons of musicians and tons of bands, because the song was so big and so ubiquitous, 
you kind of it it takes on a different life sometimes that stuff you know what i mean because like, it just it, it becomes it's one of those riffs you think it's always been there it's like smoking the water or you know a whole lot of love where because it's so simple and it's so big it feels maybe just a little bit better than actually it is in terms of, i don't know but i don't know i'm talking about Corey. i might be talking shit here but it's a look it's a great riff it's a great riff and this is one of the songs that really brought me to metallica i remember when one came out and i was pretty young I'm like what, what's this this kind of you know there's elements of one i really like i i grew yeah. to appreciate one quite a bit but it was when this uh video came out it's like holy fuck who is metallica and I got to get this because this is really, really <laughs> cool. And I've never tired of this song. It's almost like I won't back down by Tom Petty for me. I could listen to this every day in my life and never yeah. get sick of it. Love this song. But let, let's see if I give it a good grade. <laughs> What I do like about this, I'm not, I don't dislike this lyric, it's, but it's very abstract, right? You're not really exactly sure what this is about. Even, you know, they're talking about the Sandman, but that could be, it's different in different cultures, and every culture's got its bogeyman or boogeyman, depending on how you pronounce it. But I like that it is abstract. I like that he's not sort of being totally prescriptive because, you know, the best songs are always specific but general, so you can sort of add your own your own sort of ideas and your own emotion into it. And I think he does a pretty good job with this this opening uh, this opening verse. It could almost be about anything. It could be about, you know, uh, a demon like inside you. It could be like an addiction. It could be yeah. all sorts of things. I know when he, he talked about writing the lyrics, he just thought it was kind of a creepy idea, this idea of a Sandman that would visit you at, at night and invade yeah. your dreams. And it is kind of kind of creepy. That's the basis of Nightmare on Elm Street, for fuck's sakes. So I, James writes a lot about demons and monsters. This is, one of I, I think, one of his better, better songs written uh, about demons and monsters. It's funny because I had that in my notes. I was going to ask you that, Corey. When we're talking about sort of, you know, what we remember in it from our childhood, Nightmare on Elm Street was a, at the time, a really scary movie. Yes. Because kids especially, like if you, you know, if you're prone to sort of night terrors or you don't like having the lights or whatever, that movie's going to shit you up for fucking, you're going to never going to recover from that. You know, um, I should say too, as a, as a caveat there, have you ever watched that recently? Yep. It's one of the least scary movies ever made. Well, it's so funny is, and it's fun, but it's not so scary is the ex- at like all. I, I just watched The Exorcist with my kid. I'd never yeah. seen it before. Commonly referred to as the scariest movie of all time. Yeah. And she was bored to tears through the whole thing. <laughs> like, Dad, this isn't scary at all. I'm like, I know, it's going to get scary. Just wait, just wait. And I'm waiting too. Like, is it going to get scary? Fuck no. No, but it's yeah. it's still a great movie. But yeah, but I, and I, I will say scary movies for like, I'm an adult now. I've seen a lot of horror movies. They're all kind of laughable uh, yeah. nowadays, right? You, you can't really hold it up to that mirror. Think back to prepubescent Kevin, uh, you know, <laughs> watching Nightmare on Elm Street, and then listen to this song. Well, that's what I was going to say because that's where I think that maybe where they were. Most it wasn't deliberate, but I think our generation and we're the generation that's primed for this kind of music. If we, if you're into rock, rock and roll, I think that that's where that connect. That there's an immediate connect there, right? Because you can connect this. You've got that same holdover from when you were a kid, and Nightmare on Elm Street scared you. And this song's doing, it's kind of occupying the same space. So I think there's a fit there that it was just luck and timing. But I think that that's a really cool thing that it just, they're, they're sort of like bedfellows, right? They kind of fit together. Yeah. 
So I like the doubling on the vocal. I like that harmony thing. And I think that's what I read too somewhere that Bob Rock had said that you should try using some harmonies because I don't think Metallica did that really as a, as a vocal right. thing. Yeah. Um, and that half step up, that's effective, right? And it's only a half step, so they're they're changing the the key. Uh, but it's the same. It's the same melody. It's, or sorry, the same chord progression. And everything. But they just moved it up a step. But it works. It's a good sort of push and a good build into the from that pre-chorus into the chorus. Such a great, catchy and and lyrically, it's so great. Exit light, enter night. Take my hand. We're off to never never land. Like, oh, come on. If you're afraid of the dark or uh, the boogeyman or shit like that, that's kind of kind of what you fear, right? Like, it just preys on that yeah. fear so well. But Neverland is like Peter Pan. So well, no, I, was, but, I was always yeah. curious about. It's where you go to dream. We're off to Never Neverland. Was kind of an yeah. expression in, in North America. You Brits don't have <laughs> shit like that. You have, you, you have the fucking queen. Fuck, it's an English fucking book. <laughs> you, you have make believe characters like the Queen and, and the King of England and uh, you know Prince Charles and horseshit. Oh, like he's very real, and his ears are even realer. <laughs> fucking satellite dishes, those things. No kidding. I had a quick question with the harmony parts. When, because you've seen Metallica live, and I understand that you did have tickets, but you're not going to see Metallica now um, right. when they come through here. But how do they do? They do those harmony parts? They don't. No, I've okay. So they don't have a harmony singer. Then, and there's no one else you can just uh, Robert Trujillo on some songs. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll we'll do a little bit of little bit of harmony. Uh, he's not trying to sound like James. Though. Like he's very much. Uh, Jason Newstead did this too. Like a dar- a, a lower gruffer, uh, right. a, t- a type uh, undertone or melody to it, but. Yeah, it's it's ninety percent James Robert Trujillo every once in a while, but Kurt doesn't sing and, and Lars okay. doesn't sing. Okay. I think it's in I just really love that lyric: "Dreams of war, dreams of liars, dreams of dragons' fire, and of things that will bite." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to talk about this at the end, but you've you've skipped over the three lines previously. But I'm going to leave that until my summation. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave Snow White alone for now. I'm you going to you got a problem with Snow re- White? Something's wrong. Shut the light. Heavy thoughts tonight in the yarn of Snow White. You didn't like that? I think that's a terrible. I think that's one oh, we think. Oh come on. No, but given how good the rest of the lyrics are in this song, I think that's a misstep. I think that's one that he could have written. I think that's something he definitely could have come up with something better than that. He maybe just, could have. And they aren't off Snow White. Even just. Everything else in, vocally in this song, um, I like the cadence and the delivery of it, and I think that that one just it's, that's a bit jarring because it's it's too spiky. It's too it just doesn't flow for me. That line. It's not even just the subject matter about Snow White. And I've written down, you know, we, we criticize Snowbound. Hey, hey, there's a snowman. It's not in that kind of territory. I'm not comparing the two, but just that one line, Corey. Give me that one. One line. I just think could have been better. So all right, we're we're going back to see see if we can pick it up here. See, and I really like, see, are you not liking it the way you sing it or the way he sings it? Because I like how he delivers it, but they aren't of Snow White. I think one of the problems that I have with it is the snow and white. When you finish when you finish one word with W and start another one with it, it doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't, that just doesn't flow to my ear, right? And again, see, it's a subjective thing. It's a totally subjective yeah, thing. I, I totally get it if I'm singing it or anybody else is singing it, but the way James is singing it, it never really bothered me. Well, and you you said you know we, we were talking about it off the top there that I don't love the yeah that that thing in his vocal, but it's a great vocal performance in this song. Like great he's he's on on the record on the point on point. I mean, he tends to sing 
and we'll talk about this on, I think it's on the next song, but in this song, he sings the verse how he sings the verse and he sings the chorus how he sings the chorus and he doesn't really vary that up. But again, because I think you've got this, the, the sort of the drive behind this song, I think that works for it. And then I think that's it's a conscious decision not to, you know, start changing the way he's singing these different lines. And I think it works in this song, but yeah, I just wanted to, you know, criticize James Hatfield, but I'm just throwing some love out there that I think he does a bloody good vocal performance in this song. And, and there is one change uh, in the chorus. He uh, actually shuttled right to it. We're going to play it in a second, but I, I think it's funny that a lot of uh, rock singers revere James Hetfield for the little uh, yeahs and uh, the, the way he hits some words because only he can do it. Uh, Chris Jericho was telling a, a story on his podcast. He was working on a Fozzie record and he would throw in little James Hetfield uh, isms and the producer would be like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't do that. You're not James Hetfield. Stop it. And he, he oh, puts in a little thing uh, in this chorus that I really, really love. Right there. And tonight... Yeah, it's a good bend. It's a good bend on the vocal for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So he does mix it up a, a, a tiny little bit uh, on, on the chorus there. You want to hear some guitar? Maybe let's go there next. That last bit, that little descending lick that he plays, by far the coolest thing in that whole fucking solo. That's <laughs> wicked cool. I was going to say, do you and, like wah pedal? Yeah, you, you get a lot of wah with uh, Kurt Habit. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you about that, and uh, but later on. I've got him notes for later <laughs> on. What I was going to say, and I, you know, it's, it is heavy on the wah, and it's very trebly, like a lot of the, the bottom end is taken off that, that tone, and obviously deliberately to counterpoint the really heavy the bass and the, and the bottom end that Metallica go for. Um, I was going to say, Corey, because I don't, I don't listen to a lot of metal, right? This solo and the way Kirk Hammett plays doesn't feel very, it doesn't feel super metally to me. He plays, it's not blues, but it's more blues tinged to me than it is metal edged. It feels, it's got a bit of groove to it. It's got a bit of, a little bit of swing to it. It's so cool you picked up on that because I'm not a big metal guy either, for that matter. Metallica is by far my favorite metal band, in quotes. And I, I hear a lot of like Aerosmith influence and Aerosmith was a huge influence on uh, James Hetfield as well. Okay. But yeah. There, there's definitely some swing uh, to his guitar playing yeah. as opposed to like a Dave Mustaine who is just very much kind of straight ahead uh, metal, you know, here I go, here are the notes. I, I never really appreciated Megadeth as right. much as I do uh, Metallica because I like melody and I, I like melodic rock. You know, that's why I appreciate a band like Def Leppard that you absolutely fucking hate. But that's why I appreciate a band like Metallica too, because they're not. It, it's not the the metal. Uh, forgive me, Sean McGinnity, that that he listens to, where it's and it's just fucking noise. Cookie monster. It's like, it's like I, I don't know how to how to appreciate that. It's just a cacophony of noise thrown at you. Yeah. I like something with a little bit of swing, like you said, a little bit of melody. Th this is perfect melodic metal. What was was my main uh, note on Inner Sandman because the melody is so great. Yeah, for sure. All right, okay. now we're coming up to a really cool part. Can I just play the uh, the, the the prayer? Now I lay down to sleep. Now I 
So what, what do you think about uh, putting that uh, very common uh, North American prayer in there? I, I thought it was, you know, it, it, it makes it a little scarier, actually. I, I really kind of dig it. What do you think I think of it? I'm kind of curious what you think. I think you hate it. (laughs) Yeah, this is the bit where my ass cheeks tighten, and I'm like, I've just got to power through this bit, power through this bit. To me... uh, Put yourself as a character in the song, like like I had to do for Genesis, right? So this is a song about nightmares, and it's Mm -hmm. a song about, you know, being scared, and Freddy Krueger, if you will, Nightmare on Elm Street, to hear that prayer, because that's a very dark prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake... I pray the Lord my soul to take. I said that prayer with my kids at one point. Like, this is really fucking morbid. If I die before I wake. And and that's what we teach our kids to say before we go to bed. That's why it fits so well in the theme of the song. Oh, man, yeah. I, <laughs> to me, it's just, it's so, it's so cringy because it's so kind of cornball and like getting a kid to do it. It's just like, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally, I, it's, again, it's a personal thing. It's a totally subjective thing. But to me, it's just like, it screams, let's do something. Ah, oh, fuck, I don't know. I, I can't really explain why I dislike that section so much. Because musically, I think this break is great. You take the guitar out, and now we've just got the drums and bass, and even the hush little baby, don't say a word, all that kind of stuff. I kind of like that. But when that call and response thing comes in with the, with the child's prayer, and I'm not a, I'm not a Christian, Corey, you know that. Well, and, it just, and it's and just like, You ah, don't fuck. have to be, though. Look at it out <laughs> from an outside perspective. And what Christians teach their kids to say, right? It, it's it's very dark. It's like the idea of having the Sandman. It's very, very dark. And having the kid there reinforces that. And then you get into this really fucking cool uh, verse here that I'm going to start playing for you. Yes, So I'm gathering, you probably never had a kid that was afraid of the dark, but things like hush little baby, don't say a word and never mind that noise you heard. It's just a beast under your bed, in your closet, in your head. Brilliant. fucking brilliant. Brilliant. Doesn't, doesn't need, it doesn't need the corny ass fucking nursery (laughs) rhyme in the background. That's what I'm saying. That's my entire point. I I think the song and the lyric stands well enough on its own without that. My, my only knock, I love the idea of the prayer because thematically, it, it really kind of ties the whole theme of the song together. James's delivery, if I had a nitpick, is is a little off. Okay. You can tell, I don't think he was a father at this point in 1990, 1991. So, you, you know, and it obviously wasn't his kid. I, I can't remember whose kid it was. Could be Lars Ulrich, uh, voice pitched up for all I know, but. <laughs> no, that would be. And if I die before I like fucking wake, I fucking pray the Lord my fucking soul to take and like fucking James is fucking singing his heart. You know, that would be, that would be the take. And of course you can't use that. <laughs> hey, if I'm doing the Tony Banks uh, impression all through season one, you got to do the uh, baby Lars all <laughs> through season two. That was great. <laughs> oh, all right. My. Uh, my next one is a 422. Did you have anything before then? Just 407 because there's, again, there's that slight inversion on the lyric, which I yeah. quite like. Because again, they don't always do that on this album. So. Yeah, so grain of sand instead of take my hand. I just think that that's a nice and a good sort of, you know, Sandman. Yep. Now it becomes literal, which I just, that's, that's a good little bit of rice. I think that's a nice little piece that he, that he throws in there. 100%. And we're going to get another uh, again, great vocal performance on this section of the chorus here. I love that little rough. 
like a, a little you, you really got to kind of get get guttural on the r there like yeah. rough to never never land that's well you don't and you don't pronounce the first half of your right right you just, you just yeah you ramp up that r no, it's, it's, a, it's a great little bit of delivery i like it speaking of a great little bit of delivery i just wanted to play this section here love that punch of the face that oh but I think what time are we on now? Because I can't see the timestamp on my screen. But we're because there's four forty one. We get a James. Het- I think it's a James Hetfieldism, and I don't know when it started. So I wanted to ask you about that. Okay, we're about four twenty seven right now. So, so play, just play it through for a bit, and I'll catch it when it comes. Okay. That one, yo, where he drops and he's. he's- He's coming. It's not. It's still pentatonic, but he's coming off the. It's like a broken chord that he's singing, and a real. And he does that quite a few times throughout this album. So, does he? Is that something that was? Is that a thing that he does a lot coming through up to this album, or was it? Was it? Was it born here, or do you I, know? <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, maybe okay. if anywhere, maybe on Justice. I'm trying to think of another song where he did that, and you probably heard the first four. More recently than I have, I haven't heard him in a while, so you. Well, and that's what I was wondering because his vocal performance in this album is very different than those first four albums to yes. me. And, and I, I think a lot of that is Bob Rock. Like he never even, yeah, never had a vocal coach. Uh, I, he, I think he blows his voice out uh, on this tour and actually had to go to a vocal coach for the first time and actually train his voice to be able to yeah. perform these shows. But when he does that little arpeggio thing, where or that sort of broken chord that he sings those three notes, it's it's kind of like a suspended chord that he's doing, and again, it's something that. You don't really hear that many people doing. And when you do hear it, you think, oh, they're copying James Hetfield. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of one of those signature things because, you know, I've got, I've written down a few times where, and we didn't stop it there, but, you know, Lars always got about three, maybe four tricks up his sleeve that he leans into all the time. But that one with Hetfield, it's kind of pine- not pioneering maybe, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, I've never heard anyone else do that, that phrasing. So. You know, we haven't talked about Lars too much on this track. What, what do you think? Uh, are you a fan of, of the drum tone? I don't hate it. Um, I recognize that, you know, again, I like um, I like the way that Nico McBrain's drum sound that I made. I like the way the drums sound on Black Sabbath. I like, I just, my preferences for drums that are a bit more present, they're really flat in this song, especially the kick, right? Up, up, up Sabbatry, you get these big, there's an echo on this, or the reverb on Sabbatry that's a billion miles wide. But they're, they're a little bit flat, but I just, I know that I'd read, or sorry, I'd read that, um, Lars had said that he wanted to really dial back the drumming on this album because he was kind of sick of doing the Neil Pertian or Pertian paradiddles. Right. And you think, yeah, but there are a few places where you're really just playing a straight backbeat, which for heavy metal, I kind of want a little bit of something. Now, he does throw in that inversion. Like I said, the first trick that I, I noticed that he does a lot is that inversion of with boom, cha, cha, boom. So he'll come, he'll come back off the one, the, the one goes onto the snare, or the one and goes onto the snare, and then he'll hit the, the kick on the two. So there's a few things that he does like that that are okay. I just think it's a very uh, sort of a, not boring is not the right word, like a, just a, a fairly bland drum part to this song. Because really? everything else in this song is great. I just think it's a bit, okay, yeah, it's all right. It's okay. Maybe in the body of the song, the intro of the song, I think he's doing a lot of good stuff. And it's a lot of fun to play. Yeah, sit down at your electric kit I see behind you there on your shot yeah. every once in a while. Fucking trim that beard. Sit down in front of your drums <laughs> and, and play the beginning of Inner Salmon. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. It's not as fun as the next song we're going to do, but yeah. Fair that enough. is true. 
That is true. Uh, Stop I just wanted... true. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. I just wanted to play a little bit of the outro here because it, it really feels like a nightmare. Like the way this song ends, uh, it's as perfect as the way it started in my books. And to me, that's the influence of Bob Rock because you really hear that that nightmarish quality. You get the deep, heavy bass, rough to never, never land. And then the ethereal, yeah. take my hand. And it's it, it's panning around. It's nice and it's it's, it's almost ghost-like. Like yeah, it's good. So, I mean, it's engineered perfectly. How did they end this live? Because obviously you, you, you can't fade out live. So what did they do with this one? Did they end? Because you could end on that, you know, before this fade out, this section starts, rough to never, never land. Out, you could do that there, right? Yeah. Now you'd lose that. But what 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 do they do live on this one, Corey? Well, the problem is, is that this is also the uh, album or the uh, show closer uh, on a lot of shows. So, oh, big, uh, big rock ending. Then I'm guessing. Yeah, big rock ending. They, they oh, actually okay. slow down the main riff. Uh, I'll actually, I have uh, the last time they're in Saskatoon. I, I have their uh, their live album uh, from Saskatoon. I'll play a little bit at the end there. I just have to wait for it to boot up here. Yeah, but because uh, they, I think that's the thing with Metallica, isn't that thing through the fan club is they basically record the soundboard at every gig and yep. if you have the ticket you can get the you can get the live recording i think I, am i right on that or have i just made you're 100 right okay. even if you weren't at the show you could spend 10 15 bucks and get a download okay of what of every single metallica show and there's two saskatoon shows there's one from the saint anger tour uh which doesn't sound all that great and yeah. it was also the saint anger tour uh and then there was the one i went to uh on the hardwire tour in saskatoon which is a phenomenal show okay so I would and are they mixed? Right are they mixed, or are they just kind of put out as they came off the board? Maybe a little. Like they okay. they sound pretty good for just being off the board. Like usually when I hear something off the board, it sounds kind of shitty. I know yeah. Kiss is currently uh, releasing a bunch of uh, off the soundboard releases, and they sound like garbage. But yeah, um, well, they, they probably sound like Kiss. Ooh! <laughs> How dare you, sir? They're retiring Shots this fired. week. They're not retiring this week. No one fucking believes that for a second. Come They're on. They're retiring from uh, worldwide tours this week. I'll, I'll amend that statement. I'll I'll fucking believe it when I see it. Gene Simmons <laughs> is not going on a tour again. He'll do one-offs. He'll do the Kiss Cruise. He'll do a Sphere show or a residency. But uh, yeah, there won't be touring anymore. No, because some, someone will go, Gene, $250 million. $250 million if you tour again. And he'll just he'll crank out those fucking leather pants in a in a split second. Leather pants? Have you seen his rig lately? Like, no. Oh my god, big! Like, it looks like it weighs two hundred pounds. <laughs> if I'm in that kind of shape and I'm that age, I'll be pretty damn happy. Fair enough. <laughs> So that was actually uh understand man live uh, in mexico city from the live shit binge and purge uh box set so so i was gonna say on that because i commented as we were listening to that that it's a lot faster yes like, noticeably a lot faster and i think that's one thing that the two, first two songs definitely on this album get just fucking note perfect because tempo is really important with songs you can you know play songs at different tempos and they either work or they don't but this one is sad but true. I think they need to be exactly on that time because that doesn't that to me isn't as good. Yeah, it doesn't have it doesn't have quite the same. I don't know because to me it, it, it's about the story. 
right? And you, you need a, a slower tempo, I, yeah. I, I think, for a song about nightmares. Or is that, that just more like, you know, party, happy, fun time music <laughs> about, about the Sandman? But uh, that's Enter Sandman. Um, Kevin Brown, let's get your uh, final grades on the song. Remember, we rank these songs uh, out of uh, 25. We have 10 points available for uh, production. Sorry, 10 points available for lyrics, 10 points available for uh, musicianship, and five points available uh, for production. So music, lyrics, and production. Uh, what did you uh, grade Enter Sandman? Okay, music, I went eight. Like I said, it surprised me how simple it is, but simple often is is good. If you can write a simple song, that, that's usually a pretty good thing. And it's all power fifths. It's a straight backbeat, but it, it works. Like it, it just it just works. Like you said, I mean, the atmosphere uh, is great. And I think the obviously with the, the tone of the song, because it was written musically before the lyrics were added, mm-hmm. of course, that's going to inform the lyrics. Um, I think the... Production is sorry, lyrics, sorry, lyrics eight. Sorry, um, like I said, there's just that Snow White bit. I just, I can't, I just don't know about that, dude. Docking two um, points on Snow White, you are harsh. Well, well, I'm docking not too. I think just you know overall, they're not, they're not Metallica's best lyrics. I, I hope <laughs> we haven't got all got there yet, but you know they're they're, they're fine. They're they're fine. Um, and like I said, I think there is that sentimental attachment back to this i this boogeyman idea that we all grew up with horror movies and our youth and everything else. So. Eight and eight for music and lyrics, and then four point five production because I can't find too many, too many things to criticize in this. I mean, I'd say maybe, and this is going to be probably a through line through this this album. I think the bottom end is a bit muddier, but I think that that's actually more to do with what Jason Newstead's role is in Metallica. Because I get the sense with Metallica, and you can correct me on this, Corey, but I don't think the bass player is ever really front and center. They're not really adding too much melodically, or their job is to really sort of complement that rhythm section that, that Lars is playing and sit on the root notes and just provide that that foundation for everything else. Um, but for, yeah, so 8, 8 and 4.5. I tell you, when Cliff Burton was in the band, bass was uh, very prominent, especially in the melody. Okay. Listen to a song like uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, right? It starts off with a bass lead. And the, the bass is almost the lead instrument for for a lot of that song. So Yeah, but, but it's not on this album, though. There's not no on this real, album, because no, yeah. they, uh, you know, when, when Cliff died, they, they I really hit him hard. And they brought in Jason, and they didn't treat him very well. They hazed him pretty bad. They yeah. turned down the bass in Injustice for All. At least Bob Rock uh, turned the bass up a little bit, but yeah. they still kind of treated him like shit uh, pretty much all the way through. And then when he left, that was kind of the wake-up call, like, holy cow, we really treated that guy like shit. And yeah. we, let's not make that mistake with the, with the next guy we bring in. So you were 8, 8, and 4.5. And I imagine 4.5 yeah. to 5 is going to be pretty standard, I think, on this record. I think Bob Rock did a killer job on this record. I think it sounds absolutely terrific. Uh, I'm 10, 10, and 5. There's nothing wrong with this song in my world at all. Perfect melodic metal. That's the kind of metal I like. I like, you know, things a little bite, but things yep. a little melody to it too. And things that can tell me a, a cool story. And this tells a cool, scary little story. Much scarier than Home by the Sea. Fuck, that's so... But that kid would be <laughs> bored to tears. She might actually get scared listening to Enter Sandman. Uh, to me, it, it, you know, it's little things like that little punch on the ooh coming out of the... But it was just a good and then oh, oh I yeah. love that moment. So many great moments in this song. The whole intro, like I said, it it starts perfect, it ends perfect, the riff is perfect. James sings the fuck out of it. Lyrically, it's brilliant. 10, 10, and 5. It's one of my favorite Metallica songs of all time. And I'm not ashamed to say so. I'm not a, a diehard who says, Oh, they fucking died after injustice. No, no, no. I, I think they released <laughs> good stuff all the way through. There's some shit in there too. Yeah. And, and we're gonna we're gonna come up to those records a little while later. I don't think there's a ton of shit off the Black Album, though. 
But did Metallica ever release a perfect album? That's a, no. a question for us. I don't okay, know if so any band has. Has any okay. band released a perfect album? Bono talks about he's, he's chasing it. Did you say the Wallflowers? Oh, Wildflowers. Wallflowers. I thought you were talking about the band, the Wallflowers. I'm like, <laughs> no. Jacob Dylan, Fuck off. <laughs> so my, th- my three perfect albums, Revolver by the Beatles, News of the World by Queen, and Wallflowers by Tom Petty. Those are my three that I just, I, I don't know that I would change a single note on any of them. So it's always interesting to ask a fan of another band, what's there? And I mean, you know, I think, uh, was it, is it Master of Puppets? That's, yep. Is that the album name? It's commonly sort of, I think most of my friends who are big Metallica fans and, you know, old school Metallica fans, that's their sort of magnum opus. And, you know, there's, there's tons of like Born to Run from Spring Scene or whatever the follow-up to that was. Most, born in the ba- USA? Most, you know, no, I think it, no, it wasn't Born in the USA. It was A Darkness on the Edge of Town was the follow-up to Born okay. to Run. And that's the one that a lot of Springsteen fans say. So I was like asking that question, well, what's their, do they have a perfect album or what's their best album? So what's, the, what's their best album? Was this their best album, Corey? Well, in, in terms of what? In terms of sales? In terms of critical reception? In terms of what I like? Uh, in terms Black of what album, you like? In, in terms of what I like? Yeah. Jeez, I, I really like the new one quite a bit, too. But uh, when, when you you're, factor, you're in a minority there, I believe. <laughs> oh, no. It, it's pretty well received, I think, 72 okay. seasons. The, to me, there's only one skippable song on 72 seasons. Uh, is there a skippable song on, on the Black Album? I don't think so. So Okay. Because cool. th- this, is, this is my entry album uh, for Metallica. Uh, but you can't go wrong. With, and you said Master of Puppets is kind of the that and Ride the Lightning. I find it, it's like one in one eight. Okay, uh, you even have I think a division of Metallica fans. You got the Master of Puppets side and the Ride the Lightning side. You know wh- which is the best, okay. which I think is kind of cool. And it's you, you bring up News of the World is a perfect album. I, I still kind of skip sleeping on the sidewalk. We're done. <laughs> this podcast is over. <laughs> I don't know if there's been a perfect record. Like, yeah, I'm trying to think even of Wallflowers. Like, I love Wallflowers, but uh, there's got to be one song I'm like, yeah, you know, that's okay. Yeah, I don't know, man. I Again, I mean, this is the beauty of music. This is why these podcasts exist that we do. This is why we enjoy sitting around a microphone for no bloody good reason, because we're not getting paid for this, folks. We're making nope. no money. It's costing us money. Um, <laughs> but we enjoy talking about music because we love it, and I think that's an admirable thing to do, Corey. So already one song in, you liked Enter Sandman at least. You didn't think it was perfect, but yeah. you liked it. That's great. Again, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely, there's definitely, it's, this is not going to be, I'm not going to like every song. I'll tell you that right up front. Oh, no. Um, but of course, it's a good song. Come on. It's got a good melody. Like you said, it's got a good melody. There's enough there that you think, okay, if you're going to criticize that and you're going to say that, oh, it's not old Metallica, it doesn't sound fucking hard and punky enough, it's not supposed to. Yeah. That's not what they're doing here, right? So just take it for what it is. Bands evolve. The the best bands evolve a little bit, right? And sometimes yeah. they return to their roots, but they're they're always kind of changing things up. And we, we get a big tonal shift from this to load and reload, which we're looking forward to. But you want kind of that, that old school Metallica that they still introduce as you want to hear something heavy? This is the fucking song they're playing. This is sad but true. All right, what do you want to say, Jesus? He's been waving for like two minutes. I'm like, fuck off. You're harsh on my buzz. <laughs> that break? 
That's a long break. Yep. And I think that's a really a confident musical decision to leave that much space in the middle of a song like this right at the beginning. Really, and of course, I, I, I mean, not to tip my hand too, too much, but I think this is, I, I, this, if I'm going to sort of say to someone, well, if you, you don't like Metallica, but there must be one song before I did this podcast and before we started digging into it, this is definitely the song that I would always go to, 100%. Yeah. Uh, I love that, you know, this uh, this detuning on this song was inspired by Bob Rock and Dr. Feelgood because the band was like, well, you can't get any lower than E, right? And he's like, well, wait, have you heard of, uh, you know, Drop D? And then that blows my fucking <laughs> mind. Deep, I mean, Black Sabbath, that's why they sound like Black Sabbath because they fucking drop tuned. Yeah. Are you kidding me that you're five arms and you don't know that you can drop tune your guitars? <laughs> oh, I laughed when I read that, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I just absolutely literally yeah. blew my mind. I was like, I, I had to reread. I'm like, I can't have read that right. Surely I've not read that right. <laughs> well, surely it doesn't get lower than E. Oh, wait. Have you heard of this? Drop E. Isn't that such a spinal tap moment? <laughs> what there, there isn't a note lower than E. We can't play a note lower than E. How do you want us to make it any heavier? You know, 80% of the time we find the stage. The movie focuses <laughs> on the one of the six or seven that we couldn't. Like, it's a hatchet job. That came from the commentary. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, this is just fucking hard and heavy and killer. And I love in that break, live, like, dun, you know, and then Lars gets up from the drum throne and he's like, Egging the crowd on until we yeah. get loud and loud and loud and loud, and then he comes out. Like you said, drum wise, it's fairly simple, but it's fucking fun. And, and to me, that's the the drums on this record. Uh, a lot of it just equates to I have fun playing it. Like th this is a fun record to play to. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, I can't do the double kick shit, right? Me either. We're against yeah. that. We're gonna, I, can't, I just can't do it. And I don't because I don't. That's not the kind of music I wanted to play when I learned drums. And I don't, I, I sometimes think it is a bit gimmicky. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I mean, I've, I'm going to criticize Lars Ulrich a lot during this podcast, Corey. You, you know, and you knew that coming in. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm not I, I criticize Tony. For, Go ahead. Yeah. But I mean, that little, that da 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 da, da that's perfect. It's exactly 100%. what you need to play there. So far, we haven't had those Lars moments where you're, where I, I, that kind of take me out of the song. To me, oh, plays... this one and this one. Oh, okay. unfortunately. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hitting there because so far we haven't heard it, but he does have those moments in other songs, but we're, we're talking about two absolute stone cold Metallica classics here. So let's get into the first verse. So here's another lyric that you could almost, it, it's like that devil on your shoulder saying, hey, like it's almost like, again, you can you construe this as being like addiction. I'm your life. I'm the one who takes you there. I'm the one who cares. They, they're going to betray. I'm your only true friend now. It, it's that dark voice everybody has in their head. It, oh, it, they, well, I note perfect. Note fucking perfect. I wondered if this was a continuation of, of um, Enter Sandman because it, it, it's got that, you know, the sort of the unseen enemy. It's got the same mm -hmm. feel to it, so it kind of you could almost say that narratively, you're almost making it more personal now because Enter Sandman is from the perspective of 
well, a third party, but now this is from the perspective of the Sandman almost. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's got that yeah. same, it's got that through line. But I was going to say that the the they, the sort of the sympathetic line, they, it does that same thing. Yeah. It's that same drop to that. I think it's either the, the major second or a fourth or something. And it's just so, it's so James Hetfield. Like I said, it's no one else. It's like James Reynolds. Hey, I'm going to hit myself. It's got, it's got that same thing that only he does it. So I think, you know, it just, again, it joins those two songs together really, really See, well. For a guy who hosts a Tom Petty podcast, I would hope that you would appreciate the inflections in, in different ways totally. that, that, that he sings because the way Tom Petty sings Balcony in American Girl is such a Tom Petty Balcony, right? Balcony. The, yeah. the, the thing that Scott yeah. Haskin hates so much about Tom Petty, I love. And it's got the same thing with James Hetfield. Only James Hetfield could do it because it's so fucking cool. Only Tom Petty can sing like Tom Petty because yeah. Tom Petty is so fucking cool. It's really cool that that just sitting behind the beat, that drag thing that they do here, which is the hook of the song. Like there's, you know, it's it's not the chorus. It's not the, the sad but true is cool, but it's only cool because of that drag timing and it replaces the riff. So again, again, to me, that's a really innovative way to, to write a hook in a song is to make it about the timing and the change in the timing, which, and I don't know if that was Lars or if that was James or if it came from the riff or where that came from. If it was Lars, I'll give him fucking huge props for that because it's the one good thing he did in his life. So, you know. You're being unnecessarily harsh to Tony Banks and his awful sweaters. I haven't even fucking started yet. But I was going to ask you, with, in the background there, it sounds like a synth. And there's some sort of bends up and down, but I was looking through the album credits and there's no one's credited with synth. I'm wondering if it's, or if you know, if it's just like a really, really super processed guitar that they've thrown in and layered to make it kind of sound like synth. Yeah, I, I didn't catch a, a synth on that at all. I, I obviously hear the, the vocal effect on the melody. I'm your dream. Yeah. Make you re- like you really hear it kind of reverberating stuff. I, I think it is just processed guitar. Yeah. And that, well, that vocal's definitely doubled, right? For yeah. sure. And that's just James singing the same line twice. So you get that thickness in there, which is, again, it's a nice bit of uh, production. But there's a bit coming up here where, you know, they repeat the title line after they've come out of the chorus, which, again, I think is a good bit of arrangement. And then Lars actually plays something quite interesting coming up. He quite commonly does. You just got to open your mind. Here, Here's a Lars quote about uh, Sad But True. Uh, he said, and I quote, um, it's one of his favorite songs to play live. I love the feel of that song and the kind of the stomp and the size of it. Uh, there's some of the songs that are really rigid, and some of the other songs that are a little more freeform. Sad But True falls kind of on the far end of the freeform scale. Every night you play sort of a different drum fill and push, pull, all that stuff. So that's one he loves to play a lot. Yeah, fair enough. Totally. All right, where do you want to truck to next? Just play it from here because, again, there's this little bit here where... Lars, so basically, if you listen to what is it, it's got that inversion trick again. He just he just flips the snare and the the bass uh, drum pattern, but then he throws in a little half measure of, of double time. Uh, but yep. it's only a half measure, but it's that's again that's very very cool. I think that's really that's where he gets that right. I think. Sounds cool, man. That, do, 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 do. 
that's cool. I think that's and that's that's the right thing to do. My criticism of Lars has is, is been, and I've got to tell you, like this side of this album, Corey, so far hasn't really dissuaded me of that. That I don't think Lars always plays the right thing, or I don't think he plays the optimal thing. Where a drummer like Nico McBrainy and Pace, like the great heavy metal drummers, I just think they sense the song a bit better. And again, I know that Lars was going for a very specific thing here and torn everything back, but that bit there, fantastic. I love that. See, I'm going to disagree with you on Lars because all he did was write the drum patterns and drum on the biggest selling metal record of all time for for the biggest selling and most popular metal band of all time. So Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift is the most popular and best selling artist in the world. She's a talented lady. She writes a better song than you or I do. <laughs> Certainly better than Randy Woods. Boom! He's not going to listen to this. <laughs> no, of course he's not. <laughs> I tell you what, though, uh, Sean McGinnity played a Randy Woods song on a show. I can't remember what it was, but it was pretty fucking good. I, I didn't yeah, want to call him. I didn't want to say that on Twitter or anything where he might actually see it. So I'll say yeah. it on this podcast that he won't listen to. But guy actually might have a little bit of talent. He's a great musician. And to me, uh, the, that intro leading into the solo is what Metallica does so, does so well. Is you, have, you have this nice little rhythm. Nah, 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 nah. Then all of a mm-hmm. sudden that gets doubled. Nah, 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 nah. And then you get a, just a random cymbal hit that, that kind of breaks it up. And then a little run just on something just, yeah. just just to make it a little more interesting. That's that's what I love about Metallica is just those little flourishes. It reminds me a little bit, uh, not uh, that I'm comparing him, a little bit of Alex Van Halen. He'll throw in a little flourish here and yeah. there, j- j- especially when Eddie's doing a solo. He'll put in a little thing just so that people don't forget he's there. Uh, this is almost like that, but it's a little more structured. It's not as free form. It's like, okay, single rhythm, double the rhythm, little thing on the drums, and then we have another break, and then a bump, yeah. banana, and in my opinion, a fucking killer Kirk Hammett solo. Again, th- there's a lot of this stuff on this album where it's verse, chorus, and you've got, you know, and I think Lars even said, or, or, or James maybe said that, they really tried to focus on writing two riff songs instead of, like you said, you know, a lot of the stuff on the earlier albums was lots of different sections and big elaborate arrangements. So mm-hmm. they tried to get back in, but I think sometimes I want this little bridging piece. I really want this little pre-solo or, or, or this little bridge piece. Cause I think it changes the mood of the song and it gives you something different to listen to other than just that same bloody riff over and over. Right. Which yep. some of the songs on this album suffer a little bit from here and there. hundred percent. Uh, Andrew Sandman had that break. Uh, you you were yeah. a big fan of it, but I really enjoyed it. We had that little break here, and now uh, let, let's if we can pick it up from here. Uh, this is the guitar solo. Love that solo, but I love what Lars is doing underneath it. Again, it's kind of Alex Van Halen esque. Oh, you're squinting already, but listen to it. <laughs> Just because it 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 fits the 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 the, the guitar solo. It, it fits right in the mold of the guitar solo. Everything was just perfect in there. Like I don't you're you're, you're oh you fuck you miserable <laughs> miserable son of a bitch. Okay, first of all, 
we clipped it. We kind of stopped right at a really cool point too because there's a there's a reverb on those drums when the big stop mm-hmm. that is six miles wide. Like it's insane how the tail on that reverb, the decay on it, is at least like four or five seconds. It's crazy. I'll um, back it up a few if you want to. Yeah, just that, right before we come in, that, that last bang, that last hit. Okay. That bit, that reverb is monstrous, and it's completely like you know that's not the room because the no room sounds. I mean, unless you're playing in the middle of the Royal Albert Hall with no one in Fucking it. Fucking bingo hall, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> get your dabbers ready. No, that, you just don't get that. But that's again a superb production choice. Okay, onto the solo. I love that opening major chord into the solo. Isn't that, it's such isn't that a great? brilliant fucking choice. Yeah. Such a good choice. Um, and again, you know, I like it lifts from the fifths. Um, I was going to ask you, did, before this album, did Kirk Hammett always play with, does he play all that war stuff? Or is it, was this born of trying to sound a little bit different? Or was that just his thing? I, I think that was his thing. Uh, going okay. all the way back to, to, well, and Kill Em All was really the Dave Mustaine record, right? Like uh, they fired right. him. Uh, during the recording of that so from like master of puppets on yeah uh, kurt kurt's been known he's kind of like the zach wild uh just the uh, wah pedal up okay the ass. yeah <laughs> yeah and and again this is a point of disagreement between you and i think me and you and i think it's going to be most of the season is that that double kick in there from lars a hundred percent doesn't need to be there it's you know you talk on your aerosmith show about steven tyler singing over the solo all the time Mm-hmm. And this to me is Lars. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm like totally fucking in my fucking kick drum, man. You know, it's that thing of, I think that that thing that he does there could have been employed somewhere else in the song, but in the solo, I find it really busy and distracting because Kirk's fucking slaying it. See, just, I listen to a lot of Van Halen. I listen to a lot of Van Halen. Alex does the same thing. No, he doesn't. He does not <laughs> fucking do that. He doesn't do, okay, Lars doesn't do it as well. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll absolutely grant you that. In this song, it works pretty well, in my opinion. In other yes. songs, I am right with you where it's like, Check. shut up, Steven Tyler. Yeah, shut up, Lars. <laughs> Let, let's listen to Kirk for a while. I yeah. get it. I get it. I just don't get it on this track. I just think there are other things you could do that you could hit. You, you could, you know, you could do a big thundering to, uh, Tom hit instead of the snare. There's there's a, there's a ton of different things. And again, this is subjective. And it's yep. what I like as a drummer is just almost, it's very rarely what he's playing. And it's that unfortunate thing that I just don't, me and Lars, we're just never going to be a band, Corey. That's just nope. it. You know, we're never going to be a double drum, you know, a double drum band. Well, he's he's not Stan Lynch, right? Stan Lynch is just kind of hey. right right down the middle, right in the pocket type of in drum. In the pocket, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that on the I'm your pain, like the ascending. Yeah. Oh, fuck, that is so great. That's Bob Rock. That that that's the element Bob Rock brings because Metallica okay. before this record wouldn't have done that. What is that? Just take the back half off that line. You know, I'm your dream, make you real. Just take make you real off. And I'm sure that that is kind of a a producer saying, "How about if you do this?" And that's where, even if there's tension in the studio, which there was a lot of in, in making this album, that's why you need producers. That's why you need that outside voice to say, hey, James, I think you can write a better lyric. Or, hey, Lars, how about you do this? Or, you know, go go yep. sit down and shut up. I know what I'm doing. Or how about we just do this in this section of the song? Because, it, again, it just changes the song again. It takes it to a different place that I, I think is fantastic. I think it's exactly the same notes. It's why the best albums have a, a really great producer. That's why who produced Wildflowers? 
right? Pretty good repro- uh, producer by the name of Rick Rubin, right? Yeah. To, to, to be able to go to a guy like Tom Petty and say, hey, let's try this, as opposed to a yes man. 100%. Which is like what bad example what Bon Jovi has right now and John Shanks, right? I want to be part of the band. I'll do whatever you say, John. And, <laughs> and it's, it's shit. It's absolute yeah. shit. This is a guy who's not afraid to tell the band, do it my way. I think this is going to be really cool. And the song, the end product is all the better for it. And I think that's what really, because Metallica hated Bob Rock during the recording of this. Yeah. And then they heard the record like, but the end result, you can't really argue with. And obviously sales wise, and, and like this broke him in the mainstream. Uh, obviously, one yep. was kind of the big single from Injustice because that had the video, and everybody said, "Oh, Metallica sold out." Uh, but it was this record that really kind of broke them in the mainstream. It got him on it. Like one was a big one on MTV, but Enter Sandman, Saboteur, Wherever I May Roam, Unforgiven, uh, Nothing Else Matters. There's five pretty big fucking singles that any band would kill to have, uh, you know, hit wise, yeah. right? And they had five on this record. And a lot of that you got to tribute to Bob Rock. I know a lot of people don't give him a lot of credit. Oh, he ruined Metallica because of Saint Anger and Load and Reload and all that horseshit. Listen to this though. This is Metallica to me at their peak. Didn't they? I was reading. Wasn't there like some sort of fan petition after Saint Anger to say we demand him out of the band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny. So because and he's the bass player on that record because Jason Newstead left and they didn't want to hire anybody right away. So Bob Rock played bass on that record. Oh, so it is his fault then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, I blame I mean, the therapist. I, Watch the documentary. I blame okay. the, the therapist for that. But. I think that anytime an artist is willing to do that and willing to say, let's bring in a producer who's going to challenge us, I'm always going to put my hands up and say, yeah, kudos to you, because every band needs that. Yep. If you're an artist who wants to grow and develop yourself, then you should have someone saying, yeah, that's crap. Or it's not crap, but you've done that before. You're just treading the same ground now. Let's let's think of something different. Let's come with something different. Um, and the next song I'm going to talk about, there was a different production or a different sort of um, composition style or approach that they took, which we'll, we'll end up talking about. But right. Who produced News of the World? Was it Roy Thomas Baker? Uh, like those early Queen records, it was Roy Thomas Baker. There's a No, it wasn't. It... Oh, well, no, yeah, he came back. So Date uh, the Races was just Queen. Yeah, I think he came back for News of the World. Okay. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Able to take, like, you know, different approaches to producing a record i'm not sure now because i think he might have come back for jazz you know okay well again there's a different approach to that record too compared to news of the world yeah definitely well, mike stone a... produced mike stone produced news of the world yeah that's right yeah i thought you were a queen anyway. expert like what the fuck are you doing yeah i'm a queen expert like you're a van Halen or is that expert. randy is that randy okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to do it but let's go to about 4 35 because I just want to point out again, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna do it the whole season, but I gotta talk about Lars. All right. So four thirty-five. Here we go. You there. Yeah. I'm your life, and I no longer care. I'm your... What's wrong with that? Play something else, you fuck. Come on. You can be more creative than that. Seriously. It's it's almost like I'd written down a thing that he got a crisis of confidence. He played the first one, that's cool. I don't know what to play now. I'll do that again. I just think that any, again, top table drummer, I just think comes up with something a bit more interesting than that. It, just okay. me, Corey, you know. It, it fits the song. That's why I like it. <sighs> it, it, it. If he did some sort of drum pyrotechnics, like a Neil Purdyan thing right there, it wouldn't have fit this song. This is very kind of slow and plodding and big and heavy. Give me a doesn't, simple little thing. It doesn't need to it. be Neil Purdyan. It just needs to be better than that. <laughs> 
you can't play it, motherfucker. That bit? Fuck it. I mean, you want me to do it now? <laughs> do it right now. Jesus Grab your sticks. Let's see. <laughs> I see that drum set behind you. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, I'm not a huge Lars Ulrich fan. I'm going to find myself defending him, though, because, uh, again, I always kind of come back to, well, he is the drummer of the biggest metal band of all time. So he must yeah, be I doing mean, something right. Yeah, he's friends with James Hetfield. Ouch. <laughs> it's like that little kid, you know, the, the little kid who stands behind the bully? Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, get him. Get him, James. Go get him. So oh, it's I'm... like Tony Banks behind Mike Rutherford. There we go. Well, <laughs> you've got, I mean, we've got to have a, we're going to have a whipping boy in every season. That's right. That's right. I, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. shit on you too bad for not liking Lars and drumming <laughs> because I did the same thing in season one. So 100%, you're, you're absolutely valid in saying so. I'm just saying for me, definitely doesn't bother me. At least yeah. on these two tracks. I'm your truth, telling lies. I'm your reason, alibis. I'm inside, open your eyes. I'm your. I'm your. It's fucking awesome because you're expecting sad but true. Yep. And he comes in and he literally just hangs that half part beat. That's killer. That might be the best part of the fucking song, actually. It's it might be so it, cool. I, I think it's the best lyric, too. Uh, I'm your truth telling lies. I'm your reasoned alibis. I'm inside. Open your eyes. I'm yeah. you. And he yeah. holds the, oh, my God, I'm fucking hard. This is such a great goddamn song. <laughs> if you need a minute, I'll just leave and I will turn my screen off and you turn your screen you know off. What? I, do I, what I you need, need to do. And I need less than a minute. Just go ahead and <laughs> say something mean about Lars. I'll be back in 30 seconds. <laughs> Oh, so good. Yes, All right. I mean, well, we should play through to the ending because the ending is great in this as well. Absolutely. Let's do it. Brilliant. Oh! I think the only way you could have made that even just a touch better is you go, da, 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 da. With no chord on it and just leave it right on the snare would have been you think so fucking super cool as well oh it's metal i, mean, I like that power chord that yeah da, da, it's da, super da, cool bam. yeah i love but, it but um yeah i mean look it, you can end this song anywhere you want because i think well you know i think like i said i think enter sandman could have used this type of ending where you just have an actual definite hard stop because that just works so well and imagine when you see this live you've seen this live I have, done this yeah. Song when you, yeah yeah imagine when that stop comes the place goes fucking nuts. It imagine. really does. But yeah, the way Enter Sandman ends, it, it sounds like a nightmare. This is a little different, right? So yeah. I like that. Da, 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 bow. Just on yeah. that chord, it's it's fucking perfect. Guess what? Motherfucker, 10, 10, and 5. This is heavy <laughs> metal perfection. If if Enter Sandman is perfect melodic metal, this is heavy metal perfection was my three-word review of Sad But True. No notes. <laughs> fucking love it. This, this is so great. And because yeah. I've seen him perform this live, and they do it so well live. And like like you said, like you heard a little bit of the uh, live uh, shit-bidden uh, purge uh, from yeah. next, Too Fast. The way they perform it now, though, is melodically perfect. Like it's right in line with with, with the record. And yeah. it just sounds great. Like one of the best one-two punches of any album ever, in my honest opinion. Yeah. Um. Again, we talk about tempo. This is a, it's really deliberately slow. And I, 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 like you said, I mean, you know, you sit down at your drums, Playing slow as a drummer can be sometimes challenging because you want to, especially when it's a rock song, you want to race, you want to get going. Yeah, You need this groove. Like this song has to be played at this tempo yeah. because that's where it gets its weight. 
Yeah. And, and thematically, again, it's it's that devil on your shoulder. Like, I'm yeah. your dream. Make you real. I'm your lies when you must steal. It's such a relatable yeah. lyric because we all have that naughty devil uh, on our shoulder telling us shit that we shouldn't be thinking yeah. and shit we shouldn't be doing. Like, it, it's so relatable. And, and that's one thing I really like. Metal lyrics, uh, you know, they get they're very dark. They're very, oh, death, 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 death from Metallica. Even named an album Death Magnetic, right? Right. But we all have that dark side. I, I enjoy watching murder documentaries. Uh, I enjoy kind of revisiting that dark side of my own personality on occasion. And yeah. Metallica is the soundtrack of that for me. So, well, what I'm, is your grade on uh, Sad but True? This is. Mm, I was going to say something, then maybe I'll hold it back. Music, 10. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like this a lot. I mean, I like this a lot. Even with Lars's uh, little bullshit that you did? Let's let, let's get to that. Okay, okay. Let's get to that. Then, you know, that's music. Um, I don't even mind James's snarling in this one because I think that in this song, if you didn't do it, I think it would lose a bit of punch. Exactly, especially on that, that line, I'm you. I'm you. Yeah, he just he f- nails the vocal on this. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, the big hang time thing is again just one of the great rock and roll moments. Um, and even if you don't like Metallica, or even if you think Metallica sold out, come on, nothing again. Nothing else sounds like it. It's it's just great. Um, lyrically, I think nine point five or about ten or I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm you know what I'm, I'm going to go ten because I I can't really find anything in it that I don't like. So maybe I just start from the top and work down and try and pick, but. It, you know, and I like the structure of it that you've got, hey, I'm the lie, blah, blah, blah. They, then you've got you, yep. and you've got I, and then you've got sort of hate and pay. And, you know, you, so you've got these, he's, he's, he's using this this thing that musicians do this all the time, right? You sort of start with a different perspective or a different focus, but he does it really well. And I think the flow of it works too, because, you know, you could you could sequence these verses any way you want, really. Um, but I think the way they are sequenced is the optimal way of doing it. And like 100%. you said, when you get into that last that last verse, you know, that, I'm the one who took you here. I no longer care. It's brilliant. I, think it's I love a, that. And, and I no longer care. What what a great, yeah. like, final line for that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to production. Okay. 3.5. Wow. So you're, you're blaming Lars's uh, drum shit you didn't like on production? Those two drum it... fills are okay. fucking amateur hour. And <laughs> if you fix those two things, I, this would be a 10, 10, and 5 for me. And I would, you know, I'm pro- and this is going to end up in my rotation for sure. Because again, I dismissed all Metallica because I don't like Metallica. This is a great fucking track. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great rock song. Yeah, okay. Is it heavy metal? I don't fucking know. I don't know what heavy metal is anymore. <laughs> I think it's a great song. Um, so the only marks I'm knocking for those two, just, I mean, oh my god, I can't even get my head around. It's where did you put that in production though? I would have maybe uh, put that in music if that bugged you so much. But because production, <laughs> I kind of think you know, like a uh, song construction. Yeah, well, uh, there, how that's it what it is to me. Okay, that's what it is to me. It's a production choice. It's or arrangement. Let's say arrangement okay. instead, right? It's not. It doesn't play it badly. It doesn't mm-hmm. play the fills badly. Like they're he's, he's playing them in time. Like they're it's competent. They sound okay. It's competent. It's competent. It sounds okay. <laughs> I just think it's the wrong thing to play. So I, that's where I put it in. Okay. Yeah. Well, production. that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Totally. Yeah. So that's not bad at all. Ten, ten, three point five for a sad but true. Uh, already, you're a, a huge Metallica fan. I'm loving this. But we're gonna get to <laughs> uh, the third track on side a of the black album this is not a single uh so this is probably what i'm guessing you maybe didn't hear before uh, until you started doing this show yeah uh let's check out uh holier than thou (laughs) 
So when I listened through this, the first thing I wrote down is, please, God, can something happen? <laughs> because this is just, and I get it's heavy metal, and I get that, and I think that maybe this is where, because Metallica was a, a thrash metal, right? I think they were kind of put into that bucket generally mm-hmm. previous to this. This is where I think that I, I'd sort of, I, I have a, hand, a hard time finding a handle on that kind of music because it's like, okay, you've done that now for 16 bars, and I know they get into the, the actual riff is different to this, but I just think in a in a short song, because this is what, three and a half minutes or so, something around there? Around there, yeah. 347. This, this intro just gets a bit, it's like, oh man. I'm... There, there is a little, uh, you, you know, Kurt's doing something in the background there. It's very, yeah, but it's so low. Yeah, it's so yeah, low. Super yeah. buried, yeah. Which, uh, when you're wearing headphones, kind of sounds cool. When you're not, like if you're just listening to this through speakers. You just can't hear it. You, you yeah. can't hear it, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm definitely with you there. I love the uh, doubling on Judge Not. So, so this song is well. First of all, Bob Rock thought it was about him. He thought the guys hate me so much <laughs> they wrote holier than thou uh, for me. But it, it, it's about uh, irritation with those in the music industry who are quick to point their finger at others for for mistakes. Totally. I mean, it's, it's a song about hypocrites. Right? I'm going against exactly. Lyrics, but yeah, I'd written my literally what I've written. We, we do this, folks. We did this on season. If you've listened to this podcast before, <laughs> you know that it delights me when me and Corey have written down pretty much the same thing. Um, so my exact sentence was the double track vocal on Judge Not provides a wee bit of movement on a really static song to this point. Yeah, and it, I, I get it lyrically. No more of the crap rolls out of your mouth again. Haven't changed. Your brain is still gelatin. Yeah. So yeah, it, about hypocrites. It doesn't hit as hard for me as the first two songs did, but I, I get where James is coming from. Yeah. That's a nice bit of production too, where you've got James singing, obviously, two different parts. And I think they only played this one live, I think I was looking this up, 104 times. Because mm-hmm. that would be really difficult to do, because he's definitely that's two different parts they're singing, and it's almost a call and response, you know, with the same lead singer. That's that's kind of cool. I think that's a neat, again, that's a neat little bit of production there. Yeah. And uh, lyrically, uh, it's not who you are, it's who you know. Others' lives are the basis of your own. Burn your bridges and build them back with wealth. I, th- I thought it was a really yeah. cool line. Judge not, lest she be judged yourself. So even on kind of a throwaway album track, which James Hetfield himself said was, quote, one of the sillier songs, I think lyrically he's doing a really good job with it. It's a good lyric, man. We're gonna, yeah. We'll get into that at the end, but it's, it is, it's a good lyric. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let, let's. Uh, ke- we haven't played the solo or the uh, chorus yet. Let's check that out. What do you think of the chorus? Um, it, it's we were talking about the the Sammy Hagar thing about just just sing the fucking title of the song, you know, <laughs> it's got, which, you know, which is a bit unkind, it's a bit unfair. It, I guess, this chorus is sort of my was my preconception Metallica, the way that James Hetfield sings. I just think 
I don't care about it. It doesn't move me. I don't. It's okay. It's not mm-hmm. bad. I just don't care about it. You know what I mean? I tell you, uh, before I actually like deep dive listen to it, this is a forgettable kind of track mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets stuck in your head. Gets colder than that. It gets catchy. But when you think about uh, being a song about hypocrites, and you got the line, uh, "Holier than thou, you are, you know, not." That is very yeah. telling for me because um, I, I, I follow movies a lot. And we just had today Bob Iger, who is the chairman of Disney, gave an interview saying, you know why the Marvels isn't doing well? We didn't have enough executives on the set, which may be the dumbest fucking thing I've oh, yeah, ever that's, heard. That's right? definitely the problem. 100% that's the problem, uh, yeah. It's like every movie executive in the world doesn't know a fucking thing. So that's no. that, that's a great line. You know not. Yeah. Because if there's one thing AI can do in this world, it's replace movie studio executives because yeah. they're just brain dead idiots. And, and and that lyric really kind of hit home a little harder for me. And I actually bumped up my rating a little bit lyrically. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I might've been a little uh, lower on the scale thinking this is just kind of a stock album filler type song, but lyrically James Hetfield just, he impresses me as a lyricist. And it was when yeah. I started watching some kind of monster and seeing his, his process and writing lyrics and where he goes to and what he comes up with. And then yeah. you listen to the songs. And one of my favorite lyrics is from the song, I disappear, which we're not covering. Cause it's from a movie soundtrack, even though it's okay. from this era, but just so great lyrically that I, I'm so impressed with him as a lyricist, even on an album track, he does a really good job in my, well, opinion. maybe, maybe what we need to do, Corey is we need to do a bonus episode this season with I disappear and Metallica's Grammy winning version a stone cold fucking crazy, <laughs> which I have a lot to fucking say about my friend. I, I bet. No, no. I, I, I'm a Metallica fan. They they don't really do it justice. <laughs> but but that like yeah that line you know not. So it, it always reminds me of um. There's a it's a joke that an English comedian used to tell. You know, before George Bush was elected president of the United States, little did he know. <laughs> That's the end. That's the end of the sentence. <laughs> but it's that same thing, right? It's that it's got that sense of, you know, you think you're up your own ass, you think you're God's gift to man and humanity, but eh, you don't know anything. Exactly. Now, uh, actually, my next time is right around here. There's a little bit of a rhythm solo before we get into the real guitar solo. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Best part of the song for me, because really two two things. I love that tone against that backdrop, and this is where it being mixed a little bit lower works. But also, you've got that. I don't know if it's six four or it's got a. It's it's not four four. Like they've switched the timing up. So I think this this little bridge piece here before the solo, fantastic. And uh, I really like that uh, and how it bridges to the actual guitar solo, which is coming up right now. So there, uh, you know, Lars isn't doing too much uh, in the background. I, I, this is one of my more forgettable James or uh, sorry, Kurt Hammett solos. Yeah, uh, I, I really like what James is doing more uh, rhythmically uh, with the rhythm guitar than than what yeah. uh, Kurt's doing, but it's it's fine. It, I mean, the notes that I put down here, 
was, and I'll read out verbatim because, and I'll caveat it, but at this point, I'm sorry, because we know I wrote these notes. I listened to the album a couple of times through just to get the sense of it and to listen to it on top of listening to the first four albums just to get a sense of where Metallica is for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my note that I'd written down was at this point, I'm starting to worry that Kirk can only play one type of solo. <laughs> yeah. And he definitely does go off in different directions this album. Like it's it's not, you know, he's not a one-trick pony, but this first side of this album, it's been a lot of this. It's been a lot of, yep. you know, what Randy calls hoodla hoodla. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it, it's kind of shredding, but it's not really hugely melodic, apart from that one bit, that little, 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 that little descending thing in Sad But True, which is the coolest fucking thing in the world. Yeah, But in this song, again, it's just a bit, it's kind of a little bit plug and play maybe at this yep. point. It's less hoodla hoodla and more wow wow because he loves that wah pedal. But no, I, I, I totally get it. Uh, my next time is a three twelve because we, we get something we haven't heard on Metallica albums since Cliff Burton died, and that's bass. I love that we start with, with the bass and it, yeah, it's almost like it's, a, like 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 an open hat uh, from Lars, and then you got James just on one side. Da, 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 da. Yeah, he plays that through, and then it's on the other side. It's doubled, and then it's almost tripled. It comes back in on on the right side again. It's really cool. Well, I think it's I think that's I'm guessing that that's James playing it here and, and Kirk playing it on the right hand side would be my guess. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a doubled uh, rhythm, but okay. I think I don't like I said. I don't, I don't it really sounds pretty close. That's why I thought maybe he just doubled it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's my favorite part. Of it. Again, it's my favorite part of this song. Like it's just, <laughs> and it reminds me a little bit of there's moments on Usual Illusion where they do this. Guns and Roses do this. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was going to actually say that, like Kirk Hammer, sometimes it's like that's very slashy because of the wah, right? Like because of that. Yeah. And it's a, does he play a Gibson? What does he play? What guitar does he play? Oh fuck, he plays a little bit of everything. But uh, yeah, because yeah. it's got that again. It's got that slight bluesy thing. That's Stevie Ray Vaughan got, had that tone that was really sort of. Um, that wee bit of flange on it, but lots of reverb and treble into the bottom end taken off, which that Kirk Hammett sits in that same range. Um, but it just sounds, when you do that thing where you put the rhythm in the left channel and you leave the right channel open, you've got that bass sitting in the middle. I kind of wish they'd done that on most of the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. I think that arrangement, that balance of it, because it's so clean and you can hear all the parts so clearly. This, this like I said, this last from 312 here, fantastic. I think he does play a lot of Gibsons. Uh, nowadays, he's playing uh, uh, the uh, guitar known as Greeny. Do, do you know the legend of, of Greeny? It's a 59 Gibson Les Paul that was okay. uh, played by a trio of famous owners, including Fleetwood Mac founder Peter Green, oh, then yeah, Lizzie yeah, guitarist yeah. Uh, Gary Moore, yeah. and then Kirk Hammett being the third. So he paid a lot of money for Greeny, and he's yeah. playing it on the road quite a bit now. But yeah, I, I think he's a fan of Gibsons. He's playing that on the road? Yeah. <laughs> Don't take that out on the road, you moron. Put that in a fucking safe in your house, you idiots. What are you doing? I'm, I'm pretty sure he's playing it on the road. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a beautiful, it's a gold top, I think, right? Or not quite yeah, a gold it top, is, yeah. it's got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a 100%. beauty. Yeah. All right. Holier than thou, I, I think that's about it for this song. Uh, Kevin, what yeah. were your final grades on this track? Okay, I mean, okay, I'm going to start with music. Uh, sorry, lyrics. Lyrics yeah. are 8.5. I think they're they're simple. But they're a very good bite back at hypocrites. It's short yep. and sweet, and it gets its point across. So I like that too. I think it suffers a little bit from just being over top of a, in my mind, a pretty weak piece of music. But again, like before you judge me, take a look at you. Can't you find something better to do? 
that's a great foreshadowing of internet trolls and dare I say music review podcasts. Oh, there you, know, you go. <laughs> but no, it's it's that thing of just if you've got nothing nice to say, just don't say anything at all. It's that idea that I think we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. Okay, musically, it's a five for me. It's I, I can sort of see in my mind's eye Beavis and Butthead doing the fucking stupid their head banging. You know, and I think when I compare these guys to a band like Maiden, who take sort of central motifs and build on them and spin them off. This is just a bit, it's a bit straight. It's a bit sort of, I don't know. Again, I just, I don't hate it. I just don't really care that much about it. And again, two and a half for production because it feels like a, it feels like a, a sort of an idea that you'd mainly, you'd usually put on a B side, but you've padding this album out to 12, which I'd be kind of curious to know again, how, how that whole thing went down. Um, but I found a quote from James. He said, what we really wanted was a live feel. In the past, Lars and I constructed rhythm parts without Kirk and Jason. This time I wanted to try playing as a band unit in the studio. It lightens things up and you get more of a vibe. And I kind of see what he means. But again, I'm, I, I fucking hate to keep coming back to this, but I think if you force Lars Ulrich to play off the cuff, this is kind of what you get. Because he, could, I don't know how good he is in a live setting, in a jam setting. I don't know if he's a jam drummer. I think he's a, you know, when he sits down with James and, and constructs things, and figures out parts that he wants to put in. It, you know, we did it with Sad But True, a, a great fucking drum part, for the most part, apart from those two fills. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and Sandman's a great drum part. This one, it just feels a bit, okay, fucking anyone can play that. I mean, you can play this, Corey. You know, so... Well, speak for yourself. I can't play this. So, <laughs> so 5, 8.5, and 2.5. All right. Uh, musically, uh, I gave this one a 7.5. I liked it a little more than you did. Uh, it, it is a little stock. It's not as interesting as the first two tracks, but I still like the riff. Uh, yeah. I love that there's a great harmony into in kind of a Kirk doodle uh, around the minute 42 mark that I actually appreciate a lot more than the actual solo. I like the rhythm solo before the real solo uh, that yeah. happened. So that's why it elevated to a 7.5 for me. Uh, for an album track, I've certainly heard worse. Uh, lyrically, I gave it an 8.5. I really like the lyrics in this one. Uh, again, James Hetfield uh, continues to impress me as a lyricist. I thought he did a great yeah. job. Uh, in production, I gave it a four because it's not too long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It sounds really good. sounds really clean. Uh, Production-wise, I, I can't really fault uh, too much in it. So for me, I was 7.5, 8.5, and 4, which means my side A total for uh, side A of the Black album is 9.5, 9.5, 4.5. It was perfect <laughs> until we got to Holier Than Thou, which brought it down a little bit. But it, it's one of my favorite sides uh, uh, in, in my current vinyl collection. I, I just love it. I should say too that I, I didn't highlight this with the production thing because I went I went low on this went two point five because I think that if we're talking about you know we went beyond just the way a song sounds I think sequencing this one at number three on this album you know when we look at some of the songs that are coming on this record mm-hmm. is insane to me I don't know who decided to put this even some of the other what I would sort of term filler tracks in this album I think a stronger number three slots in this song. So that's a, I think that's again where I sort of ended up just talking to a couple of uh, a marker or something or whatever. But well, you know, I, yeah, so... I, I could see without tipping my hand, maybe something like Don't Tread on Me, maybe fitting better in the three spots. That's a good point that yeah. I didn't really consider before. Yeah. So my overall was 7.5 to my astonishment, 7.5, 8, and 3.5. I like the side of this album. Um, again, I'm not a metal guy, I don't have a ton of context for this stuff. Um, but you know, being forced to sit down and listen to and, and go for the good things. And you know what? I've ragged on Lars on this episode, and I, I promise I'll try to dial, dial that back. But I think <laughs> as much as anything, it's just because I just, I don't know, that's 
fun for me to do. I think it's something I enjoy doing. Um, <laughs> but like I said, I found I've definitely found a lot more good in this than I was expecting. Even in this last track we just did that I think is fairly average, but it's not gone below a five, like a midpoint for me. It's not below fifty percent. Right. So I've been surprised. I've been pleasantly surprised. So it's going to be fun. Now we've got past like the two massive, massive hits. And we've still got a couple more big songs come in to see where I land on some of these, uh, uh, the, the, the next three sides That's on Metallica. Right. Side B has two right off the hop. We have The Unforgiven and Wherever I May Roam are the first two tracks on Side B and then Don't Tread on Me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very curious to hear uh, your thoughts on those. But we're running a little long. But uh, for fans of our podcast, uh, season one, we, we played, a little, played a little game called And Then There Were Three, where uh, we actually uh, had to guess uh, somebody on the call uh, listed uh, three bands. We had to guess their monthly or their Spotify listeners. Uh, so we thought, I, I thought we'd do that again, but because it's Metallica, let's call it the big four. Let's do four bands this time or four artists. So a little differently too, I, I just pitched this to Kevin before we started recording. I said, let's, let's keep score and let's see. So you have a, a possible total of four points. You have to try and slot them one through four uh, and we're going to keep score. And the winner at the end, I don't know, get a little something, something. I don't know, nude pictures of Scott Haskin or something. I don't know. Something you want. <laughs> Is that for the winner or the loser? <laughs> uh, good call. Good question. The, I tell you what, the, the, the loser has to buy uh, the winner uh, Denny's uh, in Saskatoon next time. There so, we go. 100%. There you go. All right. So my first big four, because I won last year, I'm going to pick the first four bands and I'm going to pose them to you. You have to tell me, uh, rank them one through four in terms of Spotify litter. So your okay. bands are, of course, Metallica. Aerosmith, Queen, and Van Halen. Yeah, I cheaped out. I went with bands we cover on other podcasts. But again, Metallica, Aerosmith, Queen, and Van Halen. Rank them one through four. I'm pretty confident on this one, and I shouldn't have said that because I'm going to fucking die on my ass. But <laughs> off the back of Queen is a fucking money-making machine. Mm -hmm. I think Queen's number one because I think they're sitting around 45 mil or something around there. Then I'm pretty sure Metallica will be second. And I think that Aerosmith pips Van Halen. So I'm going to go Metallica, Queen, Aerosmith, Van Halen. You, oh, sorry. Uh, Did I say it? Queen, Metallica, Aerosmith, Van Halen? All right. Well, you dumb son of a bitch. You went four for four. Yes. Queen is sitting <laughs> at over 49 million. Yeah. Metallica has over 24 million. Aerosmith, 21 million. And Van Halen, only 11 million. That, Which is criminal. Criminal. Saddens me. Saddens me that that's the case. It's yep. sad, but true. Oh, well done. You tied it all the way back. <laughs> it's like you've done this before or something. <laughs> all right. Well, we've been talking a long fucking time about Metallica yeah. here tonight. What do you say we wrap this one up? Why don't you do uh, your magic outro and uh, I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah, let's, um, you know, and the first episode of each season is probably going to be a bit longer because we do talk about the band history and everything. So thank you for putting up with us and listening to us. Join us again next week when we will look at side two of Metallica. Um, come check us out on social media, Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter and on uh, Blue Sky. We're really? on Blue Sky now, Corey. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, What's that? <laughs> it's, it's another social media thing that you don't give uh, a shit about. I'm not on uh, it. <laughs> Check out my other shows, uh, The Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Kev Brown Canada. Corey, tell the fine people all the things that you do in the Corey Morissette podcast universe. Well, it's getting less and less, I tell you, because uh, Backtracks theme music is on hiatus right now. But I still do Backtracks, Aerosmith Revisited uh, with the aforementioned uh, Scott Haskin. And of course, and the podcast will rock with Mark Kamire breaking down the uh, Van Halen catalog. And if you want to yell at me online, I'm at CD Morissette on Twitter. 
and not Blue Sky. I don't even I didn't even know what the fuck that was. I, I'm shocked <laughs> that we have an account there, but may, maybe I'll join. I don't know. I hear you need a code for that. Tom keeps telling me I got codes for Blue Sky. I'm like I don't know what that means. I don't fucking want that. Is that a, is that a like a clap clinic kind of thing? Or which exactly. fuck I'm not going to do. <laughs> I don't have STIs. I don't need that. Well, Tom was the guy who's like, you should set it up because I'm not on Twitter anymore. I'm like, okay, well, I'll put it on. I'll put it on there too. So that's fine. <laughs> and how many followers do we have on Blue Sky? Like two, I, one or two, or I don't know. Tom and maybe Tom's mum. I don't know. <laughs> not Randy Wood. I'm shocked. Randy's not on social media. Yeah. He comes on. He comes on Twitter once a week. You know. Yeah, um, I guess that's it then. We've got another side of Metallica coming next week, so come check it out, tune in, drop out, and fuck off.